off-trail learning. This is Blake Bowles. The first thing that a lot of people notice when they visit a homeschooling conference or if they go tour a highly alternative school is that it looks like it's mostly a lot of middle-class, middle-upper-class white people. And that's pretty much true for the most part. <laughs> that is the the reality of the alternative education scene and it's the reality of uh, you know, the people who generally have the privilege to choose to opt out of school, the ones who could succeed in school but are, are choosing not to, or if they can't succeed in school, then they've got the, the resources at home to help make that success possible. And typically it's families where both parents have some level of uh, college education or advanced degrees that feel most comfortable trying something new and different and highly alternative, like unschooling. Whereas if your family's priorities are to, you know, help you become the very first kid to get a college degree in your family, then that's that's a very different set of expectations and it's hard to to move beyond those expectations. But a lot of people who are active in this alternative education, this self-directed learning scene are also the ones most aware of uh, you know, a homogenous community and and feel a little bit uh you know, uncomfortable with it. And they want to promote inclusivity. They want to promote diversity. They don't just want this to be uh, a special club for, for the privileged. And so a lot of people out there have thought really hard about how to make something like unschooling or free schools or the North Star model more accessible to people of more income ranges and to make it feel more welcoming to people who are not white. And so I'm talking today with somebody who has taken some incredible steps along that path, uh, Catherine, who was originally part of North Star out in Massachusetts, and then recently split off to start her own center, which is based on the North Star self-directed learning for teens model, but it's in a much different area than North Star is. It's a much different demographic, much more economically and racially diverse and so we get to hear from Catherine about her frontline reports about uh, working with kids who are not in the traditional demographic of those who are choosing unschooling and full-time self-directed learning. I'd like to apologize up front for the construction noises in the background. We did our interview at Lighthouse Holyoke, where Catherine works, and there's a pretty active construction project going on in there. And then if she left the area where the construction project was, there was an active group of teenagers there. So you'll hear her migrating from one location to the other to try to get the least background noise. Anyways, construction, the bane of every podcaster. All right, here's Catherine. My guest today is Catherine Gabron, the co-director of Lighthouse Holyoke in Western Massachusetts. Welcome, Catherine. Hi. Thanks for having me, Blake. Thanks for being here. It's your day off and you're here at Lighthouse anyways. <laughs> yeah, well, days off are a relative term. Mm, okay. We'll get into how you stay sane as the, the co-director of a, a highly alternative institution. But uh, first thing, let's start with your history. How did you get involved in the world of education before co-founding a, a whole program yourself? Uh, sure. Well, so without going you know, into too much detail of my whole life story, um, my high school experience was less than satisfactory, we'll say. Um, you know, pretty negative experience for me. And so I dropped out my senior year 
in like a blaze of disaster. And then the next, <laughs> the next year, um, you know, and, and I hadn't made any preparation for college or anything like that at that point. Um, so the next year I went to a school for bad kids for a few months and they gave me a diploma. Um, and then from there I applied to college and for unknown reasons, um, my, uh, I went to university of California at Santa Barbara and we don't know why they let me in. My, um, my grades were always good. You know, academically speaking, school was fine for me. It was okay. all the rest of the experience. So, okay. um, and then, you know, so I went through that and then I started my graduate school, um, in education thinking that I would go and be the teacher that I didn't have, you know, and I would, I, I was going to teach high school English was my thought. And then mm -hmm. one, one semester into my master's program, I thought I, you know, I will die there. You know, it's just, I hated, I hated school <laughs> well, as a kid and I hated school as an adult. And so, um, which was pretty traumatic discovery for me because I really wanted to do that. I really wanted to work with youth. I've always, um, been teaching and coaching and whatever, you know, since I was pretty young myself. So I really wanted to do that, but then, but was, you know, faced with like how my, that's where the kids are, but I can't be there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I switched my my focus um, in my education degree to creative arts and learning, which is not, so I, I left the standard certification track and switched to creative arts and learning. And then at the same time, I started teaching at a Montessori school as an assistant and, uh, and fell in love with Montessori. So then I did my Montessori training the next year while I finished my master's. And it's all kind of a blur because I was also had a, a three-year-old and was pregnant that year. So I don't even know what happened exactly, but somehow it all got finished and <laughs> um, a child was born. <laughs> and uh, I was a Montessori teacher, um, which I love Montessori. I taught three to six-year-olds and I love that. But then we moved to, that was all in Eastern Mass. Um, then we moved to Western Mass and started homeschooling with my then four-year-old. Um, and, uh, just, you know, got more involved. I read, I read, um, how children fail by John Holt when I was pregnant with my oldest daughter and that, and before that I didn't know anything about homeschooling. Um, and someone gave me that book when I was pregnant and it really just changed my whole way of thinking. And, and I had had such a negative experience myself. It really spoke to me. So we planned to homeschool and did. Um, and then that was in Western Mass where North Star is located. So um, I learned about North Star through the homeschool community and went in and met Ken. And the timing worked out uh, well for me because Joshua Hornick, the co-founder of North Star, was, was leaving that following year. So I met them mm. in the summer and Joshua was on his way out. And they were looking for someone, you know, very part-time. And I had two small kids at that point. So very part-time was great for me. So I started at North Star two mornings a week with my kids in tow. Um, and I'm really good at making work for myself. So I got busier and busier at North Star until I was the program director. And there, um, you know, more hours than I was not. And I did that for 12 years. Wow. Okay. So you made yourself pretty irreplaceable at North Star. Um, I, yeah, I made myself pretty busy. <laughs> Certainly not irreplaceable, though, because I because now since I've moved on, they have a wonderful um, new program director. 
And for those of you who want to learn more about North Star, uh, I did an interview with Ken Danford. It was the very first podcast interview uh, on this program. Uh, but for those who don't want to go listen to a whole other episode, can you just give us the really quick rundown of what North Star is and how it's different from other programs out there, Catherine? Oh, sure. So um, Joshua and Ken were co- they were both teachers at Amherst Middle School um, way back in the early mid nineties and not totally satisfied with the way it was going for them, um, in terms of what they were able to teach and how, and Joshua shared the teenage liberation handbook with Ken, um, who was, you know, really moved by it, of course. And the two of them decided that, you know, how can we, how can we help people to do this, um, and take charge of their own education? And they, they decided that people needed a place uh, to go. So North Star was was created as, you know, an alternative to school where kids could go and direct their own learning instead of going to to middle or high school. So they did that um, starting in 1996. And what I really loved when I learned about the North Star model is that unlike something like a Sudbury school or perhaps even a Montessori or a Waldorf model school, where you go and you still have this sensation that it is a school and I can drop my kids off there and, and they're not my, my responsibility anymore. The, this right. place and these teachers are going to educate them. Uh, North Star t- took advantage of homeschooling and said, hey, listen, go become a homeschooler legally. That gives you complete freedom to design your education as you see fit. And North Star can be one part of that education. It can be sort of like the YMCA and you get some mentorship and some classes along the way. Exactly. Yeah. So you served there for 12 long years, but now mm-hmm. you are running your own program mm-hmm. in Holyoke, which is not far from where North Star is in Western Massachusetts. That's right. Um, yeah. And so I would love to hear how you started coming up with the idea for branching off and creating something similar, but also different from North Star. Sure. Uh, well, so I've had Holyoke on my mind for, well, now I guess about seven years, but for about five years before um, we actually opened, you know, I was saying, you know, to Ken and other people, like, eventually, we're going to open a program in Holyoke. Eventually, we're going to open a program <laughs> in fact. Holyoke. Um, you know, and, and Ken was very uh, polite in all of those conversations. And yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, and so eventually it got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm ready. Like, let's do it. I feel like, um, you know, I've added as much to North Star as I have. And I'm um, ready to bring this to more students. Holyoke is um, is a city about, well, now North Star is in Sunderland. So we're about 40 minutes, 35 minutes south of them on the highway. And But it's a very different community. It's urban. Um, Holyoke has a long, really interesting history of being a planned city. And there's, you know, it's one of these gateway cities where there's factories known as the paper city was originally, um, you know, created by uh, factory owners that made paper. And so a lot of the housing was made for workers. Um, the first migrants that came and work here were Irish. And so the, a lot of these old, old buildings and so forth were built by and populated by Irish people. And then in the sixties and seventies, there was a new influx of Puerto Rican, um, workers who came to work in the factories, but that was really bad timing. Cause that was right when the factories were closed or closing. Um, so more, you know, people, it was an influx of people and not, um, a lot of jobs for them anymore. And the jobs started to disappear. 
And Holyoke went from being one of the wealthiest cities in the United States. It was like the sixth, I think it had the most millionaires per capita, you know, in the, in the wow. late 1800s and early <laughs> 1900s um, to, you know, one of the most uh, desperate. So, you know, the factories closed, you know, it's a story that's happened in many cities all over the United States. The factories close, the jobs go away, the people remain um, and poverty you know, poverty takes over and then all the associated problems with poverty, drugs and violence and whatever else. So Holyoke um, is pretty different than many other communities in Western Mass where it has, it's much more diverse than Western Mass is as a whole and because it has such a, such a concentrated Puerto Rican community. Holyoke is about half Latino um, and, uh, you know, it has a lot more poverty than Western Mass has in general. It has the highest dropout rate in the state it has the highest teen pregnancy rate in the state. Um, yeah, this, you know, that's a pretty tough. pretty different demographic from at least my limited experience of the area around North Star, which is Northampton and Amherst, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of higher education there. Exactly. Uh, there's a, a lot of money there, and it's uh, it's you know generally more white, which I think is more representative of, of Massachusetts on on the whole. Totally. Um, yeah. So. Uh, what what reason did you have for wanting to go to Holyoke? This sounds like an idea that you, you had for a long time. Right. So, the, I mean, you know, the dropout rate is 50%, um, you know, or, or depending depending on where you get your numbers, somewhere between 50 and 40%. So lots, you know, you know, a significant portion of the population is not finishing high school um, here in Holyoke and you know there's all these other associated problems teen pregnancy and, and so forth these kids are not coming to North Star they're not um, you know they're uh, you know now that we're here I have many students um, in the program now at Lighthouse who have never left Holyoke they, you know they're just it's just not what they do their families mm-hmm. live here um, everyone they know lives here there's it hasn't been a you know they just they don't leave Holyoke um, many of them not certainly not all of them but uh, a bunch of them have never been outside of Holyoke so they're not coming. To, they're not looking for alternative programs in other communities. They, um, that's not going to happen. So, so I wanted to bring a program to them. And when you were part of North Star, did you ever feel some sort of of guilt or anxiety about only serving uh, what I consider the traditional sort of alternative education or self directed learning demographic, which is middle to middle upper class, mostly white people? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't know if it, it's guilt, but certainly, you know, there's more kids that, that, uh, that aren't being served that I, you know, that I, that I think about. Mm-hmm. Um, North Star is pretty economically diverse. It, you know, the, the Valley certainly has a lot of money, but, um, North Star, uh, it's, it's pretty economically diverse. There's plenty of families there who, who can't afford much of the tuition, um, that don't have a lot of resources, but, they are, you know, it's 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 very predominantly white, uh, for sure. And North Star's done an incredible job of promoting that economic diversity and turning away no one for purely financial reasons. Yeah, it's quite um, a track record. Twenty years, uh, and they have never turned anyone away for lack of ability to pay. Yeah. Um, still, I imagine that there must have been the question in your head, or I'll just speak for myself. The question has long been in my head. You know, how much of this stuff that we promote? Uh, you know, high freedom, self-directed learning, unschooling, how much of this really works for everyone mm-hmm. and how much of it is just something that people with a certain level of privilege um, can do and it can really work for them. 
Um, you know, if you have one parent who can stay at home, if you have the resources to be able to afford travel opportunities or tutors, um, you know, is that the kind of thing that enables something like self-directed learning to work? Or is it a more universal uh, human experience that really everyone can benefit from? Uh, that's a great question. And I would definitely say the latter. It's a it's a more universal experience. So not every, you know, it, it's definitely true that more affluent families are more likely to be looking for resources for their kids because they can afford them. You know, a lot of um, low income families, they're not looking because they're like, well, that's we're not going to be able to do it. So why torture ourselves with possibilities that we can't have? Um, so certainly more affluent families are looking for more solutions for their kids because they can have them and they know that they can have them. Um, but once in the center and, you know, now Lighthouse I think has, is really demonstrating that the principles of self-directed learning are much more universal. Um, and, and I believe, uh, more necessary perhaps. Can you, um, can you flesh that out for us? Yeah. So, you know, the, the big difference, um, I was just talking about this, the other day, uh, the big difference between um, poor kids and affluent kids is money. <laughs> That's so, the obvious answer. Yeah. Yes. Um, and otherwise, kids are kids and they have the same set of needs and the same and respond to the same set of stimuli. So uh, respect, care, safety, um, you know, feeling valued, feeling inspired, you know, interesting things to do, nice, you know, a nice environment where you feel like you can be yourself and that's going to be okay, um, where possibilities are open to you and you see other people doing interesting things that, that can be really inspiring. Those things appeal to all income levels. Um, they're just really human. We are, we are natural learners and when we feel safe and valued and respected, uh, we learn and we do, we do stuff that we didn't necessarily imagine ourselves doing. So here, um, I'm going to apologize for the noise. Can you hear it? Oh yeah. <laughs> Active construction project here at Lighthouse Holyoke. <laughs> That's right. It's actually upstairs, which is, so this is actually a good example of Holyoke in general, right? So Holyoke, you know, the challenge is the opportunity is the thing that I always say here. Um, and I'm not the only one that feels that way. So even though Holyoke has all of these tons of problems um, in a high, you know, high poverty, high crime, high drugs, especially heroin is huge in all of Western Mass, but the marketplace is kind of Holyoke. Um, even though that's true, there's also this huge influx of innovative ideas because space is cheap and it's also really cool. Like right now I'm in Lighthouse is located in what was originally a pipe factory a hundred years ago, and then was sitting here empty. And so um, lots of interesting businesses are moving into this this area that we're in, which is called the Innovation District, mm. So, including um, someone upstairs. So they're standing. The <laughs> including this person upstairs. Yeah, in a previous conversation that we had, Catherine, you said that a lot of, of artists, a lot of people looking for cheaper rent are moving from the more expensive Pioneer Valley uh, exactly. to Holyoke. And, and so it, it seems like it's actually a pretty cool time to be doing something new in this area. Totally. Yeah. So they, you know, we, and we've seen this in other communities, the mission district, uh, you know, Brooklyn places that were once, you know, full of crack houses and then the artists move in and make it cool and interesting. And then, you know, business sort of grows around them and that's totally happening in Holyoke. So we feel really on time 
So that yeah. so that's happening, and then at the same time, they also have this, uh, you know, sort of desperation. So the the Holyoke school system last year was taken over by the state in Massachusetts, uh, which is the first time that's ever happened. There's one other, wow. they, they call that receivership. Um, there's one other city in Massachusetts where that's happening, and it's Lawrence. But Lawrence asked for the state. You know, Lawrence said, "We're over, you know we're in debt. We're over our head. We need help." And the state came in and took over. But here in Holyoke, it was a hostile takeover, and it was pretty hostile. Um, the community was really upset about it. And that was the year that we, that was right before we opened. So for us, it was great timing because suddenly education became, you know, on the forefront of, of ev what everyone was talking about because the state was taking over the system because of their extremely high dropout rate and their really low literacy rate. The literacy rate, the third grade literacy rate in Holyoke is the lowest in the state and the next lowest is half or Holyoke is half as you know it's, it's like 13 percent it's like so low so right. the you know it's, it's twice as well, I don't know how to say it. it's half as much yeah. as the next lowest city so it, it's like <laughs> so bad um, so the you know so the state took over um, and everyone was pretty angry about it uh, but for us it was uh, useful because it made education so much in the news and everyone wanted to talk about education and the problems in education and that was a perfect mm. um, platform for us to walk into. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of a twisted marketing benefit for you. Yes. Um, so you said, you know, kids are kids and that's true. Uh, I imagine that that not all families are as uniform and especially if you have families uh, where the school district is being shut down um, and who are scrambling to look for alternatives, uh, especially if you have families. Um, I think of like you know first generation immigrant families. Um, these are typical, typically families that really prioritize traditional achievement in right. the school system. Get your high school diploma, get the college degree, kind of get those traditional indicators of success. And uh, these are families less apt to go mess around with some hippie alternative. Like sure. unschooling or self-directed learning, right. uh, you know, typically the people who who feel like they can go experiment with with innovative forms of education are ones who already have two college degrees. Exactly. Um, yeah, they've they've kind of they have this safety net in the form of of social capital that they feel their kids can always fall back upon. Right. Um, so, talk about that a little bit. How this experience has been different from working at North Star. Sure. Or, or elsewhere as an educator. Well, you know, it's interesting because it, it is a really conservative community, and you're absolutely right. You know, the, the high school diploma and college degrees are, are very highly valued, especially there's so many, you know, some of our families that we work with at Lighthouse, none of the people in their family, no siblings, and even the parents have graduated high school. So, and, and that's sort of a, a mark of shame um, in many cases. And so to, to have another dropout in the family is bad. Right, so we don't ever talk about leaving school as dropping out um, because that, it's so negative here and and so common. Um, so it is it is a much more conservative community than the Upper Valley. But interestingly, at the same time, you know, North Star exists in a community that doesn't know it needs North Star. Right, so they are looking mm. for alternatives, but also the schools are great. Um, and so when or you know by by whatever school measures people measure school by. Um, this, you know, Amherst and, and Northampton are rated very highly. So if a student isn't thriving in that environment, it's assumed, not more, it's more than assumed. I mean, it's, it's stated that that's a problem with the kid, right? If that's the, the kid is flawed in some way. They're, they're disabled in some way. They're some, there's something wrong 
with the student. But here in Holyoke, everyone knows that there's something wrong with the system because it's so widespread, um, at, you know, at the, the failure rate and the dropout rate and so forth. So it's clearly not the students. There's too many of them. So it's a really different conversation. So we're not, so, so at North Star was a lot of conversations about, no, there's nothing wrong with you. That was the wrong setting. But here, people are, are very active about talking about the problems in the setting, uh, which are, you know, rampant. So it's, so it's pretty different. Um, and again, another, another example of the, the challenge is the opportunity. So, so, they, so no one, like when we started having meetings in Holyoke and talking about our vision for Lighthouse and, and asking questions about that, nobody said, oh, we don't need any educational alternatives here. <laughs> <laughs> like, please, but thank right. you for being here. Yeah, so, so there was this interesting, so even though the community is much more conservative, they were at simultaneously much more open to talking about new solutions mm -hmm. because they were, you know, really looking for new solutions. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about the language that you use uh, with the families who are thinking about joining Holyoke. Um, you said that you don't want to use the term dropout because it has a real negative connotation and, and it just happens so much, whereas it might be more of a rarity in a more affluent community. Right. Um, so how else do you need to modify your your approach and the language you use when you are trying to convince people that this is a, a real alternative? Right. So Lighthouse is pretty structured. Um, everything, that, you know, we don't have any required courses. Everything is optional. It's very similar to other centers, I mean, North Star and other centers in the Liberated Learners Network and um, around the United States. And, you know, the, the students, you know, develop a vision of what they want to learn um, and then we help them make that happen. So just like in lots of other non-school settings, have any specific requirements for individual kids, uh, it is set up to be much more structured. So the students, our classes happen in eight-week blocks, half semesters, and they meet twice a week, and the students register for them in advance. Um, they don't, you know, so, and they, they have an advisor that they meet with once a week and talk about their classes and scheduling the classes and if they don't want to be in, the, in any of the classes that are offered at any particular time, then they can choose an independent study um, or something offsite, an internship or something like that. But we, we really help them structure their time. And it's, it's part, it's really a bridge, you know, and it, it makes them feel much more comfortable. It's very schooly in, in here. You know, we do have a common room and there's often some kids hanging out in the common room. But for the most part, they come and they they do their work, you know, they go to, in my background again is Montessori, so it really has a Montessori feel, and so their work can be anything, um, you know, and some, you know, how it is when you get into a project, you know, someone can sit and, you know, build a robotic thing for the whole day, um, and that's great, uh, but, it, but they're like doing something that is sort of planned and structured, and as they you know, as we meet with them in the beginning and explain the program, we really stress that stuff. And it, it's, it tends to make people feel safe um, in, and as if this is, the whole situation is real. So it's definitely uh -huh. an alternative setting, but it has a very real component to it. And the, the phrase you mentioned earlier, liberated learners, that's the network of, of centers that have started mostly on the East Coast U.S. Um, that are based upon the North Star model, although it's not like some really tightly controlled model. Like everyone 
kind of implements it a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, how how close do you feel, since it sounds like you do have more significant elements of structure, how close do you feel to the rest of the, the liberated learner partners, the ones who are, who are modeled after North Star, which is pretty free and open? You know, they have classes too, yeah. but it's there's no sense of obligation to go to any of those classes or to sign up for them. Right. Yeah. Uh, I feel, you know, we're definitely aligned philosophically and I'm on the board of liberated learners. I'm interacting, um, with everyone else in liberated learners all the time. Uh, so, you know, philosophically, like what we actually do and what students learn in our programs, you know, how to become self-directed, how to have an idea and follow through on it, how to see the world as a place of possibility. Um, is certainly what we're doing here as well. Um, and, but the way we get to it is, uh, you know, the, the way that we sort of market the program and coach people at the beginning of the program is, is, more, is more structured than, uh, than in the other programs, uh-huh. I would say. Yeah, and you use the word bridge. Um, and so what, when you get to the end of the bridge, what, what is there? Uh, right. At the end of the bridge um, is whatever they want. Right. So our goal is to is to help students imagine a future that they want and then build the skills to get there. So that's really different for different students. So most of our students arrive saying that they want to go to college. Um, and so our job is to help them figure out what that even means and where and why and what they would study and um and go if that's what they want or you know they mostly they say that because that's what our culture says you know and that's like the that's success um and it may or may not be the right choice for for any given kid and um we're not set on that outcome that's not necessarily success for us success for us is that student feeling like they have options and making mm-hmm. making choices that mm-hmm. serve them because um, because they can and they want to, not because that's what's expected of them or whatever. So for some students, you know, many of our students haven't traveled much, and so the idea, like, wow, you can you can travel, you can go places, like that might be. I mean, that would be a huge success for some of our students to say, like, I'm going to go to Europe. Um, where is that? <laughs> <laughs> Start there. Right. <laughs> uh, I love your your definition of success as having options and then making choices. Like it, it's so simple and something often taken for granted. Um, but that is what what life is about for most people. You know, to have that sense of of autonomy and that sense of control over your own destiny. Right. Right. Yeah, and that hasn't necessarily been the case. And many, I know, this is true for this was true at North Star too, but I think it's. It's even more true here. Um, you know, just the just the idea of imagining um, a life out of poverty, for example, is not something that happens overnight. I mean, that stuff is deep. Um, especially, you know, we, some of our students are like generationally poor, generationally reser- you know receiving services, SSI or whatever. So to to start to step towards a life that doesn't require that is is really a process and requires so much trust um, and it, t- it just takes a long time to build we also have students that you know so our program is actually really diverse so I talk a lot about the poor kids because 80% of our kids are on you know substantial or you know, very nearly full scholarship 
Um, but we do have students that also pay the tuition and come from families that are college educated and, and much more middle class or, or upper middle class. So we do have we do have a diverse group, um, but I, you know, I, it's, it's especially easy to talk about the ones that walk here rather than the ones who get dropped off. Yeah. Uh, and so you are making Lighthouse financially accessible to a wide range of incomes. Right. Um, I'm curious how you do that and how you also pay a decent living wage to your staff. I know this is something that you've thought a lot about and it's it's just a general issue in the world of of cool private independent schools that have low number of, of paying students in them that the staff are usually the ones who get the short end of the stick. Right. who just, you know, need to have a spouse that is supporting them, that are making something like, you know, one-third the, the market wage that they might be making elsewhere as an educator. Right. Um, so how do you tackle that to keep Lighthouse sustainable in the long run? Yeah, it's a real challenge. And, and um, I wouldn't say it's tackled. I mean, we're we're in the process of tackling. But, you know, uh, you know, Holyoke, with all of its challenges, it also has a huge – the biggest industry in – Holyoke is public housing, and the second biggest industry is nonprofit. How do we deal with that? There's a lot of nonprofits, and they're all um, they're all paid better than we are. <laughs> That's where I was going. So there's a lot of you know. So my co-director Josiah Latant um, and I co-founded Lighthouse together. He was on the board of. Um, of Northstar, and that's how we met. And he was uh, the senior associate dean of students at Hampshire College um, while he was on the board of Northstar and before we started this program together. So we're co-directors. Um, most of the other nonprofits around us have just an executive director, and they all make way more money than we do. Uh, so we are, you know, so I, I, we get paid. We got we ended in the black last year. Um, I'm, you know, making more money than I ever have, but I've always worked in nonprofit, so it doesn't really say much. Um, we could both make more money elsewhere, and, and that's true for all of our staff as well. Uh-huh. So that's just unfortunate. So kind of like the building you're in, it is an, an active work in progress. Yes. Figuring out this equation. Absolutely. So we do, you know, we pay our we pay our staff, um, our other two advisors, there's four of us that advise students um, and teach here, and then we also have an office manager. So there's five staff that are that are here every day. And then we have a whole bunch of um, adjunct teachers. So we pay we pay the teachers, um, you know, they they teach three hours a week and we pay them for four. Um, and we pay them well, but it's not that many hours. So, you know, it, it only is, it only works for people who also have other jobs or other, other, other lives. You know? They mostly are professionals in whatever field that they're teaching in. And they sort of carve out some time to do this for us. Um, cause they're excited about the program and our kids. And, uh, to bring it back to the, the umbrella topic here, Catherine, I'd love to hear you comment on. Uh, just inclusivity and diversity in this whole world that you and I are in of self-directed learning, of promoting unschooling, of uh, you know this kind of radical notion of of personal freedom for young people uh, to author their education and author their lives. Um, how, what what strides do you see being made 
um, in extending this to more people than just kind of the lucky, privileged few. Because as you said earlier, uh, you do believe that self-directed learning is something that is that is accessible to all and can benefit all. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's maybe so. What I, I was started saying before is maybe even more necessary and important in communities where um, it's not going to happen on its own, right? So many of the students that I've worked with in the past, you know, they they may have come to this. They, you know, they had other supports in their life. They had other examples, um, and that's just not that's just not true here. Uh, one of the programs that we have at at Lighthouse is an entrepreneurship program, and self-directed learning is like being an entrepreneur of your education. And the entrepreneurship program here, the reason we we developed it is based on the feedback that we got from the community, in which people were really clear with us, like we don't need more nonprofits. What we need is jobs, um, but there aren't a lot of jobs, and the world is changing. The economy has changed. Uh, if you're not self-directed in your in your financial employment life, if you're not a lifelong learner, you're in trouble these days. You know, if you can't reinvent yourself and learn new skills as you go, you know, the days of getting a whatever, you know, job at IBM and working there for 30 years and then collecting your pension, those days are over. Um, so students, I think, really need to develop the skills for, for lifelong learning and um, imagining and creating possibilities for themselves and selling themselves and thinking out of the box. And students coming from low-income communities need that maybe even more. But yeah. I think it's vital that we, that we offer this kind of education in communities, you know, low-income communities like Korea. I completely agree. It's an argument that we don't hear enough. And I think it's going to be sort of obvious in 10 or 20 years and and right, right now it's not obvious. And, we, and we, we're seeing that in Holyoke too, because there are still there are still factories in, in Holyoke in advanced manufacturing, but they're high skill jobs. You know, so the jobs of just like you know pulling a lever all day um, that you could do with you know no training and no education. Those jobs are all overseas now. So the jobs that remain are are much more creative um, and much more skilled. So you you, know, you have to be able to get those jobs or or you live on government support, which no one wants to do. You know, mm -hmm. so that's one of our that's one of our mantras that we say all the time. Everyone wants to succeed. And that is it's just true. So students that, you know, we get students that um, have struggled in other environments, but it's not because they want to struggle. <laughs> they want to succeed. Uh, so we just have to work with them and collaborate with them to figure out what that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. It's really different for each kid. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that something that goes hand-in-hand hand with educational empowerment today is, is economic empowerment, specifically entrepreneurship. And there seems to be some sort of allyship between the, the, the programs like you are running or that, that Ken is running and programs that encourage – uh, entrepreneurship, uh, small business startup, uh, and that whole mindset that comes with it um, in areas that are more economically depressed. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And finally, uh, is is self directed learning and unschooling just um, just something for white people? This is like the, the the gut reaction that so many people have when they first hear about unschooling. It's like that works for that nice white family, 
but how can it work for everyone else? Right. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, historically, they're right, right? It is a privileged um, choice because it often does require um, substantial parental involvement in the stay-at-home parent or you know, the homeschooling movement in general, like who's going to homeschool if everyone is at work or if it's a single-parent household or, or whatever. So, so historically, it has been um, a pretty privileged choice, um, and which is why, you know, North Star originally started was to make it more accessible. Like if they had a place to go and if the parents were not on the hook or, or exclusively on the hook for, you know, for learning, um, it would become a lot more possible for more kids. And so we've sort of expanded that into this low income community. Um, I think it does, it does take support. Uh, you know, there are lots of, lots of uh, non-schooling students in Holyoke, but they're not um, the skills that they're they're working on are not often productive um, or positive. You know, sometimes eventually they are, and you know, people people certainly do um, find their way, but it's hard without support. And so that's what we're doing is to, to create that support and make uh, you know positive options available at, for you know for younger kids. They don't have to find their way so much on their own. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it's, it, it comes down to money, right? So uh, everything runs on money. Staff must be paid, rent must be paid, electricity bill must be paid. And so how to make that possible? Uh, we're doing it. It's possible. We're open. We're in our second year. We're thriving. Um, and we fundraise constantly. Uh, and that's, you know, at least half my job is begging for money. Ah. <laughs> uh. Well, Catherine, I, I I hope that 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 number decreases from fifty percent. Yeah, so you get to do more of the I, I assume enjoyable parts like hanging out with the teenagers. Right, right. Well, you know, I I I enjoy all of it. You know, I, I always wish there was more time in the day, so that's where I started. I guess you know, days off is a is a relative term. So one of the things that I really love about my job is that I get to do so many different things. I mean, I am I am a definitely active learner and learning how to do new things all the time so that the program can thrive and um, working with lots of different people on developing those skills and bringing those skills into the program. And all that is, is super, super fun. There's, you know, we do struggle with enough time in a day and it can be stressful. But it's also really fun. And I love, you know, like I have, I have this um, this one guy, he's an IT or a programmer somewhere nearby, works in a, a company um, in Holyoke, and he comes here on his lunch hour one day a week and works with one of my students on programming, and he says that it's the it's favorite hour of the week. So he, you know, he spends, of his 40-hour work week, the hour that he spends here with my kid is the most, you know, the thing that he talks about the most, like over dinner or whatever, the thing that he thinks about most of his work life. And I love that. Like, I that, I feel great about that. So even though he's giving and I'm asking, I also feel like I'm giving. You know, he's, uh, I'm, we're giving him the opportunity to do something really meaningful mm-hmm. um, and, and enjoyable. And it's making a huge difference in this kid's life that gets to work with a programmer and develop his programming skills and develop his passion. Um, in a way like he doesn't own a computer, you know, so um, he gets to do that here. And so it's just a win on all 
on all fronts. So even though, you know, I call it begging, um, I, I actually really think of it as giving. Hmm. On that note, Catherine, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, I hope that your building is reconstructed quickly <laughs> and with, with minimal distraction. Well, our space is all done and beautiful. It's now the upstairs space that's getting beautified. It is a beautiful space. I got a little Skype video tour before the interview started. If anyone is out there in Western Massachusetts, go stop by Lighthouse Holyoke and get a yeah, tour. And there's a lot of pictures on our website, which is lighthouseholyoke.org. Yep, and I'll put that up on the show notes. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks, Blake. If you enjoyed this ad-free podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can write a review on iTunes. You can share it on social media. You can email it to someone who might benefit from it. Or you can support it directly with a per-episode donation at offtraillearning.com slash support.